Each Sunday night, I'd watch the practice with none of my friends. I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends. But I'm out of practice. With your host, Keith Varney and... Out of practice. A very thankful Mike and Eglio. So I miss the practice There was no TiVo What could I do? Wait 15 years Get, get fat and stream it on Hulu Mission accomplished We're recording early Because I'm getting my attic insulation inspected Just as sexy as that imagery implies And welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which I, Keith Varney, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do full names today, and my old buddy Mike Indeglio, Michael Joseph Indeglio. Uh am I right? Yeah, that's it. Son of a bitch, I'm a hero. We discuss the (laughs) I mean, what's my middle name? Uh, Charlie. There you go. That's wrong. Uh, we discussed David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. It's something weird, right? It's like a girl name or something. Rebecca. No, no I'm not. I'm not going to say it on the internet because you know that'll be like the the password on like six different things. But uh, Theo, Theo, Theo. Oh, no, don't give away my pseudonyms. <laughs> We are discussing David E. Kelly's award-winning series. This week, we are up to Season 7, Episode 12, Final Judgment, which definitely feels like the uh, a series finale title or a uh, a season-ending title. But no, mm-hmm. it's just Episode 12. Yeah. We got a bunch more this season. But uh, we're excited about it. How's it going, Mike? It's good, man. Uh, uh, not much to report, uh, except that it gets dark really early now. Yeah. Yesterday was great. I didn't see the sun at all, uh, which is, uh, you know, every year I think I've moved forward a bit uh, through therapy, through vitamin D supplementation, through uh, full array lights everywhere. But, mm-hmm. Keith, there is no combating it. It just sucks the hard one. No, it's it, it's tough. I was feeling the same thing yesterday, actually. Um it's really, uh, it's really tough. I, I'm not a, not a fan. I think psychologically it's difficult, and I, I do the same thing. Uh, Jillian thinks I am nuts. It is brighter than the sun in my basement, mm-hmm. with uh, full spectrum lighting in every possible direction. And I'm like, I could drill a hole there and put more lighting in. Uh, Something, anything. And, and what's the? And to add to that, I'm, I'm now 41 years old. You know, and, and I think you can probably uh, relate to this because I'm older I, than you. No, 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 no. Because we don't have children, yeah. there's this, some assumption that we need to be uh, we need to be with family on these various holidays. Now, I have a family. Like my wife is my family. I'd like to just right. have dinner with her and and call it a day. But because we moved close to family, uh, we got m- so many invites, and with all these invites, your choices become really. I'll, I'll narrow it down to the three choices. Okay. Be like. Be obstinate and 
be like, we're just doing our own thing. Leave us be. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's mad at you uh, right. or worried for you or a combination thereof. Two, make a select choose someone and then everyone every, else is pissed everyone off. Everyone else is pissed but says they aren't. And then you have to like deal with that over the next couple of weeks before Christmas and you make a second plan. Or third, right. do that thing that I've been doing since I was 18 years old and just tires me out, which is pop, 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 pop. Just spend my day driving everywhere. Oh, you're going to go on tour. So we've yet to really narrow it down. Now, I would, I, I'm at an age where I could just make a choice, but my wife doesn't want to piss off my family, which makes sense. But we got to do it on Christmas, too, because Christmas, God love, it's, well, she but, hasn't seen her family have a for built in, you have a built-in excuse with COVID. Yeah, it's really... Because, like, you know, really going on here, tour man. during COVID is not a good idea. You shouldn't be doing that. See? You're right, but this is coming from a guy who just got off a cruise ship, so it's a little thin. <laughs> It's a little yeah, thing. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do uh I think we're gonna see my sister for a brief spell, have a little dinner, and then come back and do uh Chris uh Thanksgiving here. Plus my mother in law is planning on coming for Christmas, so that's we're getting a little Jen's family in time. So okay. anyway. But yeah, it is Thanksgiving, no, Keith. Well, before we jump in, real quick, I just mm. wanna say I'm gonna try to be a little less snark today because I am thankful for uh the privilege in my life, the good friends in my life. The the few but mighty viewers and listeners to our podcasts, plural, we appreciate each and every one of you. Just thankful to uh, have this outlet, this little space on the internet. So thank you and best to all of you and your families for those of you celebrating this Thanksgiving season. Yeah. And uh, yeah, likewise. Likewise. It was, uh, yeah. that's uh, I'm going to be extra snarky to make up for it, but it's going to be fine. It'll balance. It'll balance. Yeah, no, and we, you know, what we do, and uh, we've discussed this before, but we, uh, during during the, uh, when we're not during the apocalypse, because last year we we actually did just stay home, uh, but uh, our normal plan is always to do one holiday with one family and the other holiday with the other family. Um, so that is our plan for this year. Uh, yeah, you know, I was going to tell you my heroic tale of, uh, of, uh, saving ourselves from a falling light fixture but maybe i'll save that for next week because we have a bunch of uh fun stuff to discuss this week uh with a starting with a very quick uh but loudest segment we call i uh just wanted to give a little shout out to uh, my brother-in-law, we hey. just watched his arc on a new Amazon series called "I Know What You Did Last Summer," and uh, it is a remake, uh, not a continuation, a remake of the uh, movie series, the uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt-based movie series from the '90s, which was actually based on a book, a uh, book for young adults, and uh, they Amazon has remade it in hawaii and Ooh. uh it's uh it, i i tell you what i mean it's it's really fun and erica's great on it and there's lots of um lots of crazy stuff happening but i have never had a series made me feel make me feel older hmm. because it's all about these high school kids who uh you know you know the story like that somebody gets murdered and then they try to figure out who did it and blah 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 and even though all the high school kids on the show are in their 20s, because that's how you do things, the dialogue, the lingo is 
in in contemporary high school speech, which means it's practically a separate language that I'm sitting there with Jillian trying desperately to be like, wait, what does that mean? What did they say? Is that a word? Is that a word you use that way? Incomprehensible. I, I, incomprehensible to my old brain. And I, this is also one of those things where uh, not only being old, but being old without kids. Mm. So, you know, if we had kids, we'd be sort of passively aware of it through our kids talking. But as it is today, I'm like, the what, the who? I'm mm. completely baffled. Uh, which I'm sure our parents were with our, with our you know, stupid words. So it's, it, there's, I, this isn't coming from a place of judgment. It's, it's more like, I, I, I'm not fluent in, uh, in teenager. So anyway, it's fun. Check it out. It's a, it's beautifully shot. I mean, the locations are just unbelievable. Uh, and, uh, I'm not going to say what happens, uh, and, uh, and who done did it, but, uh, a lot of stuff happens and it's, it's fun. So and anyway. someone done did it. Look folks, uh, for those of you who've heard us talk show business many times, uh, I'm not related to Eric, so I can say this. Uh, there are people who you watch have success and sort of have a feeling about because they're terrible people. And there are people mm -hmm. who are genuinely good, friendly, funny, empathetic, warm people who who find success and you feel great about. I believe that word is called compersion, Keith. And Ooh, um, speaking, speaking of, of new, new words, vocab words. And I feel that for Eric, he's he's a wonderful guy. I'm so excited to check this out and and see his work. Oh yeah, no, I, I no question. And uh, it's 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 funny. Like you know, I come from a family. Like if somebody does something, like everyone hops on it like vultures. Like we're so excited. And every time I text him, like, hey, we're watching you. He's like, oh really? Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. And it's it's it like he has gratitude, which is amazing. Anyway, that, that's. Awesome. Uh, he would hate us talking about him on the show, so let us move forward. <laughs> uh, I'll brief. I will. I promised you, so I will be brief. I want to just touch on two things. I think I've mentioned both either to you personally, Keith, or on the podcast. So I'll start with a show that I've fallen in love with. Uh, it's called oh, Couples yes. Therapy. It's on Showtime. There are two seasons. Season three will, I think, debut early next year. Uh, I think February of 2022. I'll just say this. For those of you who are in therapy or have thought about it, uh, there aren't great depictions of it on television. This is the greatest, uh, most realistic, it is reality television, but it is real reality television. It follows this therapist here, uh, and each season, a collection of couples that have agreed to have their stories filmed. There are hidden cameras in the offices, so the, the couples forget, they don't forget, but they're, it's it's not in their face. So they're aware no, they're being filmed, yes. It's But it, 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 it takes the performative quality off, and... Right. They get into the work. It's not always successful. It's not always pretty, um, but it's not cringy in any way. It doesn't feel voyeuristic. It's it's just a great exploration of what couples therapy is like, what therapy is like, and what a good therapist uh, is like. So I, I highly recommend it. It's on Showtime. It's called Couples Therapy. Uh, next, I'll just briefly touch on a show. Uh, it's Mike Flanagan's kind of hit. It's on Netflix. It's Midnight Mass. Um, it is... It tackles a lot of things, maybe too many things. There's so many ideas that I think it's hard to cover just in seven episodes. It's a little verbose, but I like that. I like a good monologue. I like people talking, especially when it's written well. The acting is stellar. And uh, 
it's it's got some gothic horror in there, which is also awesome. I don't want to say much more. I highly recommend it. It's called Midnight Mass, and it is on Netflix right now. Which is ironic because uh, you texted me about Midnight Mass yesterday, and uh, you're like, oh, you should watch this. And not four hours later, then another friend texted me unper- like unprovoked about huh. the same show. So for whatever reason, the world thinks I should watch that show. So I'm going to have to check it It has a lot out. to say about religion, I'll say that. And it also has some gothic horrors, which I know are two things that... Uh, Two conversations that I enjoy having with you. So, I'd yeah, like to talk fair about enough. Well, and uh, the other thing that's happening as we're discussing it is we're getting uh, last week's episode notes from our CEO, Jen, who uh, is always, she's so sweet. She always texts us like the stuff that she liked about the episode. And she uh, happily has answered the. The game I was desperately trying Uh-oh. to come up with the title of last week, and of course, it's categories. Ah, uh, uh, yes. When you roll the dice. Categories. When you roll the dice, and uh, it's a great game. I liked it. Oh, yes. It was about my family's discussion about the world word notorious, which this was so long ago, we actually had to pull out a hard copy dictionary <whistles> to figure out if there was an association with evil. So, uh, anyway... That's the type of thing my family does. Woo! Partying hard at the Varney house. All right. Well, let us uh, continue forward. Now, I'm going to tease something okay. for next week. Because next week, uh, with the guidance of our good friend and founding sponsor, Jorge Novoa. Dramaturge, if you will. We are going to. Staff. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> also giving us constructive notes. Uh, we are going to do a segment <laughs> next week on something that happened right around now uh, in a preview of a segment we call Back in Time True So, over the holiday, during the break between uh, episodes on the practice. We had uh, something happened that drew a lot of attention, and mm-hmm. that was, of course, the murder of Lacey Peterson mm-hmm. and the subsequent arrest of her husband and the incredibly wild and wildly publicized murder trial about it. So uh, Jorge pointed this out because it was over this Christmas and um, last episode was in January of 2003, but there was a break from November uh, on the practice. So in that hole, this murder happened, although this case continued for the next year and a half. Uh, so of course, there is a, uh, I think it's an A&E series that is on Hulu now exploring that case uh, moving forward about 10 years later or 20 years later. So now, uh, oh God, I got to turn down that music. My God. Uh, <laughs> it's cool, but it's, I, I can't, I can't talk, 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 when it's going, when it's going. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted, before we discuss the case and that series uh, for next week, I wanted to get your impressions because you have not seen the series. I've seen the series and Jorge has seen the series, but you have not seen it. Do you remember 
anything about this case and do you remember what your impression of what happened from that case? Yes, so it's interesting you bring it up because, Keith, um, when I popped this on last night to start it, as we had discussed, I had forgotten entirely that, or I had thought that I had watched it already because I did watch a a documentary or docu-series, I couldn't remember which one, on this case. Uh, but I believe, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, it was way back on a 2020 during the, the time period where the case was happening or, to, right. Or, or, or right thereafter. And it's an interesting exploration of this time period uh, when we weren't inundated as much with the internet as like a constant presence at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. And speaking for myself, even I sort of relied on mainstream coverage of the news for the news. And, and this, this was is, wall to wall at this point. Yes. But, uh, you know, in the first 11 seconds of this documentary, we see Nancy Grace screaming at the, the, the screen. And I recall that uh, often on the mainstream media, who, who the, he, she who yells the loudest gets her point across first. And so uh, what I remember about the case is pretty much how ironclad the prosecution was and how it was a no-brainer that this abusive husband uh, who was having this wild affair, uh, murdered his wife, and we were all on team. He did it. He gone, he gone to go down. Uh, I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling like it was open shut. And what's interesting in the, about the first couple minutes of this docuseries is that they they remind us of that, what I just said, and then start to show that they might have, there might be a, a secondary or a, a, a counterpoint to that. And so I'm excited to uh, see what that is. All right. Well, stay tuned, folks. We will talk about the whole thing next week on the full segment of Back in Time True Crime. I'm excited to talk about it for lots of different reasons. And I know that uh, Jillian and I have been discussing this whole thing because she watched the series when I did. And we've been like talking about it at length for like a week and a half now. So uh, thank you, Jorge, for that. Let us uh, continue forward. Now, if you, like Jorge, uh, wanted to reach out and tell us about an interesting case, something else going on, what's going on with your life, on your move or whatever, how would they do that, Mike? Oh, Keith, it's so easy to do. You can comment right here on the YouTubes. As always, moderator Phoenix Cage will get back to you, as will we. Or if you want to send us a nice personal note, outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. That's our email. We check it. You can also check us out on the social media mm. at Out of Practice. And hey, do you like the podcast, but you you just don't know who to tell? Well, I can tell you who to tell. Just tell mm. everybody by joining the jury. Leave yeah. us a rating on, on Apple Podcast Reviews or any podcast service. Just let us know. We can find it on the internet and let people know you love us. You really, really love us. Are you thankful? I'm thankful. Keith? Back to you. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. I, I don't know if they love us, but if you're listening to this, you tolerate us and you apparently uh, you're, you're out doing something, you're gardening, you're walking, and you need something to save you from ear boredom. And here we are to not really accomplish that, but we are taking up time. All right. So let us take up no more of your time. And get right into the fun stuff. And that is we're going to hop back into the time machine and talk about 
February 3rd, 2003. It is our second episode aired on a Monday night. Uh, look out, folks. And uh, I would like to know, Mike, you know, it's Monday. It's February 3rd, 2003. What were you doing? This day in the basement. You know, Keith, I remember, uh, I believe it was around February, March, because it was so cold. And we had, uh, we've talked about juries before, but in my school, I also had to take dance classes. And mm. I recall having a, with uh, Michelle, what's her last name? Michelle Hart and Harry Wolliver, these two uh, teachers we had at our school, having a dance, like a, um, I guess a, a final or like a, a big a big test thing where like depending on your level, and I was always level one, baby. And by level yeah. one, I mean barely Bad. barely able to uh, use the word dance. I think it had to be, I think mo- strong movement was the, the title. Anyhow, and I was below that. I was, was always this, below that. There was this thing called the standing series, which is basically like an Alexander technique type of, uh, incorporation into the dance it's about breathing and like moving your arms slowly it's like it's like stretching but it's also this like movement thing which sounds great like but you would do it for like two hours it was like two hours of like weird like movement and people would like pass out because they'd be nervous and they'd be like locking out it was it was intense uh but what i recall most from this one is because this is after we had had you know two two and a half years of schooling uh still there were these like hetero bro dudes who like refused to put on a dance belt. So they'd show up to this ballet final with their ballet tights and just freaking tidy whities underneath and look like reverse stupid superheroes. Um, <laughs> uh, so toxic masculinity uh, even followed you to musical theater school. And uh, I was happy to, uh, you know what? I, I bit the bullet. I was like, hey, if I could put this dance belt on and have this little piece of thread go up my butthole, so yeah. be it. So be it. You're welcome, America. <laughs> what about you, Keith? <laughs> That's very interesting because I am I'm also going to talk about a class. Okay. Uh so I was I was done my formal education at that point. Um, but this was just my first couple of first four or five months in the city, and uh I really wasn't auditioning yet. I was kind of too scared to do that. I was just sort of getting my feet under me at that point. Uh and I got uh, my two roommates, who are also voice majors at school, who were transitioning into musical theater, they started with a class, an acting class, okay. Um, that I joined them with, and it's it's an acting class, uh, sort of unique to musical theater because it's sort of a song interpretation class. It's acting while singing class. We weren't doing monologues, and it was mainly teaching us how to act while we're singing a musical theater song mainly for the purpose of auditioning so you could take this song into an audition and mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. you know try to prove that you can act and uh so i started taking this class um and it began this was at the old shetler studios which no longer exist sadly keith do you know that's where you and i met that same studio just for the record that was our first rehearsal was at those shetlers uh this this was on the 54th street shetler okay what was st- it, it, it was still Shetler then, but they hadn't taken over the penthouse and and down in Nola. So uh, it, there's there's two Shetler Studios at that point. Anyway, this is really specific information that only about ten people actually have any uh, knowledge of or care about. No, actually nobody cares about it. Ten people know about it, but nobody cares about it. Anyway, 
so I began sort of taking these classes and beginning to learn that, uh, oh, just singing gloriously isn't enough anymore. Now uh, it is. Which, it's, it's gone back to that, but. Eh, but now you, now you have to, then you had to sing gloriously and be a good actor. Now you have to sing gloriously and be hot. And so, uh, I, I wasn't capable of, of any of those at that point. Um, but I remember, uh, just going in, I, you know, I might've had my first audition by this point. I, I didn't, I don't think I actually wrote anybody about it because I was too embarrassed, but my first audition was for a non-equity tour of Superstar. And, uh, I think at the Chetler you're talking about, and, uh, I went in there with my like jeans and puffy sweater in my chubby self, not knowing any better. And it was so overrun. Now in, in musical theater rules for an open call, usually you're allowed 16 bars of music, right? To, to perform, which is only a little under 30 seconds that you get to like sing it and then boom, you move, 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 move. But by this point, by the time I got in there, they'd cut it down to eight. And so here I was, chubby me, in my poofy sweater, having, knowing absolutely nothing, went in there and sang eight bars from Gethsemane, as if I was in, in the running for that. And as a they, note, as just, as just a, for people who aren't following Keith's nomenclature here, uh, Most Valuable Lawyer, our famous uh, me cracking, uh, that's four bars. So he's talking about only really double that. That's right, how right. much time he got. Yeah. And and so I think I just did that. I will take your cup of poison. And then I tried to continue. Nail me. The shubby shut me right down. <laughs> right after. <laughs> I think literally all I got was I will drink your cup of poison. Actually, you know what? That's all we nope. need. We don't need to hear you. Uh, you don't actually have to take the cup. We know those are expensive. Yeah. Yeah. We know. We know what's in. And so I. And I went in there, and I, I didn't know how to act. I just planted my feet. I cocked my head to the right, sang the high note, and I'm like, you're welcome. I will take the contract now. <laughs> and they're like, thank you. I'm like, but I just sang the note. <laughs> we're not, we're like, not looking for a, a Vincent Price type right now. Yeah, it was... Uh, Anyway, I don't know how we got there from my class, but because it was at the same time, maybe that's what triggered me. We're like, oh, I, I don't think I, I don't think I know enough yet uh, what I'm doing, and that was embarrassing. I still am embarrassed about it today. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that class as we move forward, and more about the auditions and such moving forward. And uh, you know, we're only now less than a year from the momentous audition, wow. which brought us together. Can you believe that? All right. So let us, yeah, right. Let us zoom out just a little bit and take a look at, uh, you know, what non-narcissists think about, i.e. something other than ourselves, like the world. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcast, oh, no, This uh, Day no in the oh. World. Oh, the no. greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. I Okay. You know, I'm not sure why, Keith, we We're not are there. not visible. Well, Mike, let me, let me tell you a little secret. Eh, nobody watches this. This is That's an audio-only podcast that just we put up on the internet for 
reasons beyond my understanding at this point. Uh, but I want to talk about the movie and song first because the uh, the news was actually uh, a little grim. So let's talk about the top song. The top song was Bump, Bump, Bump with uh, B2K featuring Diddy. I don't recognize this song at all. No, me neither. Well, it did not bump, bump, bump down on uh, in Brooklyn with a bunch of opera majors. The top movie, this also didn't bump, bump, bump that much. It was The Recruit, the Al Pacino, Colin Farrell movie, which, if I remember correctly, was not good, but this was the point when we were thinking Colin Farrell was going to be like a giant movie star. Right. He had just done something that made him big. I forget what it was. I, I don't remember. Anyway, we were like, he's going to be huge, going to work with Al Pacino. That movie was not good. All right, so let's talk about what was on the cover of the Burlington Free Press, and uh, we should probably lose our bump, bump, bump soundtrack while we do it. So uh, the cover of the Burlington Free Press talked about NASA begins grim task, and that was because uh, just two days before, on February 1st, was the Columbia disaster. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was the, uh, the space shuttle, uh, which blew up on re-entry um and then uh, so what happened was a foam chunk fell off during the launch and damaged one of the heat resistant panels it hit the leading edge of the panel as opposed to the side so it did damage that they uh hadn't dealt with before and they uh they knew that the panel was hit they discovered it while they were still up in space but a nas but according to the rumors according to a youtube thing i watched who knows uh a nasa official blocked requests for more imaging to see if there was damage on the leading edge because they didn't want to lose the time with the experiments that they were doing um and they didn't even tell the crew that there was possibly damage on the leading edge of their wing until a week later, uh, right before they were about to go into re-entry. But they said, don't worry about it. Um, the shuttle broke up in re-entry, killing everybody uh, on board. And uh, it grounded the shuttle fleet permanently. That was the end of the original shuttle fleet um, for uh, for NASA, which we still have not... Uh, relaunched at this point we're we're still after this going into space on uh other people's shuttles but uh, i remember i watched i watched this one live um the uh, the re-entry and it was it was so weird and grim because they're talking about it like the shuttle's missing we should have heard from it by now before we saw the footage of it breaking up which they were able to track like but if you know anything about NASA and space, like if we don't hear from it from ten seconds, it's done. Like that, it is. It is so specific at that point. So uh, definitely one of the uh, the two main shuttle disasters of our lifetime, and this was the second one. And both of them live aired live on television. Yep, yep. And I, I didn't see. I don't remember if I saw Challenger live. That's we the one I definitely saw. Point. We were young, but I remember watching it in school. Um, yeah, this one I remember. I don't. I don't recall watching it live. I believe just the constant kind of news coverage and, um, 
it it's it's funny because not funny. Funny is the wrong word. I don't know the word. Our our society, our civilization loves a tragedy, right? Um, and we we love to frame them as these cultural uh, comings together of these moments of unity. When in reality, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, I'll speak for our country. It's really everything, but I'll speak for our country. We we have really found a a groove in taking these these kind of things and and making them and polarizing them even further and using them as divisive tactics and this was this was no different yeah but let's we're all heroes let's but they use it to you know raise money and and make it about we shouldn't spend money on one company wants to build up NASA now and the other and the other party now wants to throw all the money away so yeah you can, can you w- imagine w- if wish it was about the today. tragedy oh yeah i mean if it happened today good lord Anyway, uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was going on. That was big news of the time. Um, but uh, let's talk about something that brought us all together uh, in a way that was, uh, you know, less tragic and but very, very important in a segment we call It's Time, it's time, time, time. It's time for Sports Ball. Continuing the story of the NFL season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, currently defending champions, won their Super Bowl, 48-21 against Oakland, now Vegas. The, uh, out of the note, at the now-closed Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego, the game was closed and the final score showed as the Raiders... Who wrote this? All right, wow. hold on. I need to, I wow. need to break no. down... You know what? That was just... Be- Bravo! I here Here is the sentence that I wrote. Because <laughs> I write these. Like, you know, oh, and I... And, and I don't know if you if you guys know, but I, I write kind of for a living. So I said, continuing the story of the NFL season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, currently defending champions, won their first Super Bowl, 48-21, to against the Oakland, now Vegas Raiders, 48-21, to at the now-closed Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. The game was closer than the final score showed as the Raiders, after falling, as the Raiders, after falling behind 30... This is bad. Yourself, try again next week, buddy. I'll I'll fix the video. You fix your uh, brain, and we'll, we'll try I, again. You know, I, I I was not drunk. This was just me, uh, not uh, you know, my brain not working. All right. Well, let us just bail from that, as everyone wishes we had bailed from that segment permanently about three years ago. But I never will. Uh, but I feel this is very earned today. I'm a human being, god damn it! My life has value, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! It's time to talk about the damn episode! Okay, finally, mercifully, we are talking about the practice season 7, episode 12, Final Judgment. It was written by David E. Kelly with a story by Cindy Lichtman who last wrote on Target Practice and directed by Christina Musri, who last directed on Small Sacrifices. Which leaves us with only one important thing to do before we watch the episode, and that is answer the eternal question. I like how the sentence is as long as it needs to be for me to find the cue. <laughs> it can just go on forever. Oh, man. What is that supposed to mean? What's your problem? Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? What? What? What does Mike think's gonna happen? 
You know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Keith, if you recall last week, we decided to make our client stop taking her meds so she goes a little bit wacky. And by a little mm-hmm. bit, I mean pretty wacky into a schizophrenic uh, delusion reality. Mm-hmm. That's a very mm-hmm. scientific term I just used. Um, and we think it's going to be great because we can save her life this way. Unfortunately, I think what's going to happen, Keith, is not only do we get her acquitted by grounds of insanity, but then she doesn't want to go back on her meds. So we then have to uh, go back to court to against our own client to try to force her back on her meds. Um, and all the while, some sexy things are happening. Mm-hmm. Such as? Jimmy rekindles with Judge Kittleson on the side. Ooh, rekindlesons. I don't right, know. Now, I don't know why or in what context, but now, now, how would Jimmy rekindlesoning with Kittleson jump the shark, perhaps? Oh well, because in a stunning twist, mm. he decides that he has to be a little more forward with her. So instead of her just being naked in his apartment, he's in her chambers, bare ass naked, ready to play hide that Berluti, and she just walks in. Woo! We get so we the get full, full Jimmy. Fr- <laughs> the full frontal Jimmy. The Bataluk. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And and like that would be the one where like they, they release the uncensored DVD where it's just like boom. <laughs> right there. Like the uncensored version of the practice, and that is the only difference. Yeah, yeah. Because we get a long extended shot of the Bataluco. Great. All right. Well, there it is. There it is. I, I got nothing to say about that. It is time for us to watch the episode before you do a final judgment on us. And we will see you back here on the YouTubes for the After Show Show. Are you unsatisfied with partial judgment? Mm. Early judgment? Mid-judgment? Well, Incomplete folks. judgment? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, we can solve that for you because it's season seven, episode 12, Final Judgment. Mm. It's a just it's it's just that they would laugh, you know. Alfred Woodard is back not, on the stand really now. Laugh. Ha ha ha. Because then they would get into trouble. They would get sent to the principal's office. And they all knew better. Denise, who talked? The kids. All the kids. She's wearing kids. her best the kids you zip shot? up. Sweatshirt hoodie. So am I. Denise, the kids you shot? Every time I entered a room, except they would disguise it because they knew that they would get into trouble, they'd cough. That was their plan. Sometimes they would sneeze, but usually they would cough. And that was to laugh at me. They're all going to laugh at you. Which kids? All the kids. At school. The kids at school. They always cough. The boys in the park, did they cough? I'm not supposed to talk about that. That's a secret. A secret between... Me and him. Who's him? He doesn't cough. You don't know who him is, but you and he entered into a secret. He talks to me from the inside. The inside of... Me! Dude, the judge is really uh, a little daft here. 
Well, I think this is our chance to answer the question. Who's that We have not seen this judge before, but he is played by David Andrews from Graveyard Shift, From the Earth to the Moon, Terminator 3, Justified, Queen of the South, and he played Lorian, Lorian in E.E. E Squared, the episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Star Trek. Uh, two quick things to note. One, man, COVID really ruined even the word cough for me. I can't even hear somebody say cough 13 times in a scene and not feel weird about it. One. Mm. Two. This new Isn't judge, Keith, is going to feel real weird when he walks into chambers and sees a butt-ass naked Jimmy. That's true. The full battle Luke. Oh, my God. She certainly has motive. She was examined by six different doctors, including two from the state. They all came to the same conclusion. If she's legally insane and I make no such concession, her state of mind is self-inflicted here. That's that not an issue before this court. This is a hearing to determine her mental state only. The consequence of that determination is up to another court. This, to me, is a perversity of our legal system. It may very well be, Mr. Parker. But this hearing, like Ms. Frutz says, is only about the petitioner's current mental health. Ms. Freeman, I have wonderful news. The court hereby finds you insane. You must be pleased. Okay, I will introduce the assistant attorney general a little bit later, but we've already uh, accomplished our first goal, Mike. That's uh, hearing the word perverse, which means it's sexy. <laughs> the quote was, I heard the word perverse, which means by definition, it is sexy. Copyright. Sexy to someone. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not the quote. <laughs> That's not the quote. You know, they often adjust those box quotes, those pull quotes. So uh, it, there, you do have some creative liberty, Keith. Yeah, but you can't add words. You can do a dot, dot, dot. So this, you show, can do this show is great for some. Yeah. All right, we're going back into prison. So what now? The next step is we go to the federal district court to stop the execution on the grounds that you're insane. And, and that's, that's a matter of course, right? I mean, it's perfunctory. The Supreme Court has already ruled on this, right? Nothing is perfunctory. And as the attorney general said before, the fact that your insanity is somewhat self-inflicted. When can I get back on my medication? Well, the state will try to force you back on. And under the current law, they might be able to do that. For our purposes, it's too loud. It's too loud. <coughs> hey! Bitch, do not cough. Do. Denise. Pretend you're with Vince McMahon. Remember, no that's your illness. When people cough, they're the not really laughing cuts, at you. The deepest of man. Holy crap. <laughs> that's your illness. Then why is she looking back at me like she's sorry? You're sorry, aren't you? Yes. See? No, I'm not. To answer your question, for our purposes, first, let's stop the execution. Then, we'll try to get you back on your medication. 
You need to hurry, Ellen. It's getting too loud. And it, we're only a minute and a half in. This is not good. Not good. But I mean, what a challenge for Alfred Woodard. And you're advising us to take it? I'm advising you to consider it. The verdict was 125 million. They have a motion for remitter scheduled for Wednesday. The judge will likely knock it down anyway. To 2.5? I don't know. He could even throw it out altogether. It could happen. I don't believe this. We won. So this is something we never really get to see, right? We usually when we win a big judgment, either the judge throws it out in the courtroom or we just like assume we got the money or that it's tangled up for years and years as we talked about last week. Here, right. even after you win the civil case, they can still make uh, almost like a plea deal or a settlement offer just to kind of avoid all of the challenges and whatnot. This will be guaranteed money, though. Right, right. Which is an an interesting thing that like there's there's so many different levels of settlement, right? Because right. they they offered them a settlement. Just continuing the story from last week, obviously. Uh, but they they offered to settle before the verdict. And now they're trying to settle after the verdict. So like I'm, we will stop fighting you. But I like the fact that we're seeing this, and it's interesting yeah. to me that they would come back with a settlement which is about two percent of the actual verdict. Well, and yeah. If I, if I recall from last week, and I could very well be wrong, but I believe that their initial, their pre, their pre-verdict offer was around eight hundred, six hundred to eight hundred thousand, something like that. It was under a million, for sure. I think it was one point um, five. I I think it was one point five by the time they got to the end of it, but still, okay. still not very great. small. And then they won one hundred and twenty some million, and now right. they've only basically doubled their their final offer. Uh, right, which is interesting because like and, I'll give and, you two percent, and not only that, but remember, this client, they kind of gave him the runaround right before the jury read the words. Eugene, uh, Jimmy tried to pull them out. Eugene forced, almost forced them to stay in, be, based on his like his brother. So uh, there's right. a lot of jerking or jerking of the tra- chain happening here. Yeah, well, I mean, and and they're doing basically how Trump does business, yeah. right? He's like he he has somebody come in and do work for him, and he's like, no, I'm not going to pay you, and he's like, well, I'll sue you. Like, yeah, I'll tie you up forever in lawsuits, or I'll pay you five percent of what you're owed. So that you don't have to get sued by, so you don't have to sue me, and that's how he's paid every one of his bills forever. By the way, Keith, uh, the Google YouTube, the new guy on SNL that does Trump, it's he's incredible. He's amazing. He's Joshua, amazing. after more than three hundred lawsuits and many adverse verdicts, the tobacco companies have yet to pay out a cent in individual smoker cases. It'll be the same here. If we're to get anything, it could be years. Two point five in the hand is so much. No. Fun. Now I am angry. I stuck it out through a trial, I got a verdict, and now you are advising me to settle because the defendant won't honor that verdict. It's outrageous. I don't disagree, but- I don't need the money. I live a comfortable life. If I have to wait another 10 years- Someday I want to say that. Joshua. I said no. Or be able to. If they had offered me something at the beginning, before the trial, but they offered nothing, and now after they lose, of all the arrogance. We beat them. I will not settle for this. No, I will not. I direct the court's attention to Ford versus Wainwright. 
where the Supreme Court held that the Eighth Amendment prohibits the state from executing an insane inmate. Denise Freeman has been adjudicated to be insane, and therefore- First of all, Your Honor- Oh, wait a minute. A Did you just see that suspect screenshot? Whom? How about no. the Chief did Justice I, of the Supreme Court- Did I announce the wrong the director? Uh-oh. Oh, God. Yes, I sure did. Uh, I gave last week's director and writer, this is just David E. Kelly by himself, and this was directed by Andy Walk. I so, apologize. Ladies and gentlemen, take a quick minute. We're going to mm -hmm. not only offer thanks this Thanksgiving, but we're going to offer grace and forgiveness. Keith? And, uh, and, bef and in order to earn that forgiveness, it's been a while, but I think it's time for... Yep, yep. I didn't do a good job with IMDb. I didn't write complete sentences or put to any of the right people, but I need to do better. I'm sorry, I'm going to do a better podcast. That was a turkey. Perfect. Nevertheless, <laughs> the majority <laughs> the court also held the defendant waived his right to feed oh, no, no. turkey went off medication. <laughs> that was for competence. Wait, wait, you hold on. Yeah, no. yeah. Yeah, here we go. It's been a long time, but I did go to third grade. I should know the sound that a turkey had made. It's not buck it's Okay, that's a... <laughs> Perfect. You know, and while we're stopped for this for the sake of this poor to show some mercy on this scene that we're about to watch is important. See, let's do this. I know that lawyer from somewhere. All right, I'm going to introduce both the judge and the lawyer uh opposing Lindsay at uh, Lindsay Eleanor here. Uh the lawyer is billed as assistant attorney general. So they're bringing in some of the big guns here. And it's, if you don't already recognize the voice from a many things, it's Harry Lennox from Man of Steel, Matrix Reloaded, Ray, The Blacklist, Dollhouse, Commander-in-Chief. He has had a gigantic career. But he also, guess what? Was Wayland Holmes in the pursuit of dignity. <laughs> You're not supposed to notice that you've been on the show before But now you get twist the residuals arriving at your door So welcome back to the practice I'll pretend that I don't recognize That I saw you in season two and you met your demise At first you were a killer but now you're set free First appearance mainly filler but you had a goatee You may be fooling someone dimmer but you don't fool me We don't hear the judge but you just might be Welcome back to the practice tonight all right, I'll introduce the judge later. It's nevertheless the majority opinion. The court also held the defendant waived his right if he voluntarily went off medication. That was for competency. They never talked about waiver when it comes to punishment. Look, Wainwright makes clear. To kill an insane person has little retributive value. It presents no example to others, it is not a deterrent, and it offends humanity. And I would ask the court, as Justice Rehnquist does, where does it all stop? There has to be some finality to the law. Ms. Freeman was judged sane at her trial. She was found guilty. She basically had another trial on the issue of punishment. Now here she comes again saying she's insane, can't kill her. Suppose she loses this one. What's to stop her from coming back tomorrow saying, now I'm really insane, or, or the day after? We could be conducting insanity trials in perpetuity. Every death row inmate would be jumping up and down screaming, look at me, I'm nuts. And here, for a sane inmate to deliberately go off her medication for the express purpose of making herself crazy so she can escape execution, 
That's a mockery. It may be a mockery, Mr. Parker. But as I interpret the Supreme Court, with all due respect to Justice Rehnquist, we cannot execute the insane. I therefore stay the execution. I petition a court to allow the state to medicate Ms. Freeman. The New Hampshire Supreme Court has previously held that a mentally ill defendant can be medicated against his or her will if- Once again, that was for trial. It was not for punishment, certainly not the death penalty. The same rationale would support forced medication for punishment purposes. Your Honor, this is a separate issue, a very complicated one. I would request additional time to prepare. She's stalling. I am not stalling. It's called due process. All right. We'll reconvene tomorrow at 9 a.m. on the issue of forced medication. Until then, we're adjourned. So here we are. We're not even 10 minutes into the episode, and step one and step two of the plan have already been accomplished. Now for the tough part. They want to force medicate you to make you sane so they can then carry out the execution. As I said before, under the current law, they may be able to do this. It's unclear. You need to stop it. I can't. I like I that she's fighting it, too. It's getting worse. Explain to me what's happening. I know, I know. I wrote myself a letter before I went off the, the medication. I told myself that what's happening is not really happening. So I, I know, I know. It's just, I'm not feeling very well. I need... We can't put you back on the medication now because it would mean sanity and death. So, I need you to hang in there just a little longer. I mean, this really talks to how perverse the system is because we're genuinely having to torture this woman in order to try to save her life. <clears throat> because I, Alfred Woodard is doing such a good job of showing how painful it is. What do you mean he won't take it? He said no. If it means waiting 10 years to see a nickel, then so be it. The guy's dug in. He was adamant. Get him in here. But, you know... What do you want to... I want to talk to the client. I think it's fair to... to offer the counterpoint that she was tried by a jury of her peers, a sentence was found, and, you know, I think there are those that would argue that regardless of her mental state, she committed those crimes and was justly sentenced. I mean, that's that's the counterpoint, right? I mean, we're seeing, she's portraying that humanity, but, because that's what our story's about, but, you know, I, I can, I have empathy for the family of those victims, regardless of the way in which they were killed, that they might see this as, yeah, I'm just trying to offer the counterpoint that that and there is one, you know. I I, no, I happen no, of, to side with you, of course, but of course, you know. But but what happened in this case was the system not working as it was intended, because you know that's why you have a not guilty by version of insanity, as opposed to like what our people are arguing all the time, like he was just mad, right? right. So insane. This is like, no, she was actually genuinely insane, and that is what the law is really there to protect. I mean, you know, our 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 heroes stretch the definition of not guilty by version of insanity to the hilt, but this is like a textbook 
Mm-hmm, this person mm-hmm. is schizophrenic. This person cannot be held legally responsible for their behavior because of their insanity. So the fact that we are here shows that we're only here because a miscarriage of justice happened before. She should never have been convicted uh, as a normally liable person. Institutionalized or medica Who knows? But certainly yeah. not as a straight guilty and the portrayal is great too, because in in times, not always, but in in, in many times when we've addressed uh, mental health on the show, it's through the prism of a perp who is like a, a mass murderer or dressing up like Batman or Superman, or you know, like we kind right. of take it to an extreme. Whereas this is a pretty grounded example of uh, where the system let fails these people. Yeah, Bobby, the we can't force him to accept illness. an offer. It's not about forcing. It's about making him understand. We did that. He understood. Please have him come in for one more meeting. The idea of treating somebody, healing her, making her well, so that you can then kill her, that itself is insane. The court has done this many times. It's one thing to force medicate so a defendant can help herself at trial. It's quite another to facilitate killing her. Hold on. Mr. Parker, I don't mean to be picking on you, but I agree with Ms. Frutt here. The idea of medicating a person against his or her will is in and of itself suspect. To do so to make her fit for execution offends common sense as it does common decency. How decent is it to let these people manipulate the system, distort the spirit of the law? Your motion is denied. Thank you. Your Honor, At this time, we would like a declaratory judgment that should my client go back on medication, making herself sane, she will not be executed. Say that again. To force my client to live out her life mentally ill, to be denied medication, that certainly constitutes cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. Counsel, what are you trying to pull? Your client is choosing to be off the medication. I would argue that she really doesn't have such a choice, Your Honor, if the consequence of being medicated is death. You've got to be kidding. You can't say to a sick inmate, we're willing to treat you, but if you get well, you die. If that's her option, she's basically being denied treatment. It's cruel and unusual. That is so ingenious. I'm surprised no lawyer has thought of it before. This is where she tries to to land the triple axel. As long as she's insane, she lives. If she becomes sane again, she dies. The choice is hers. Or since you're the guardian ad litem, I guess it's yours. Damn, Eleanor. We're adjourned. Yikes. While we're uh, while we're doing, let us introduce. Who's that Well, the person, the judge in control of this case is played by Thomas Kapachi or Kopash. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. A better podcast would have looked it up, but there it is. And uh, it's remarkable that I still don't know. You want to know why, Mike? Why would it be remarkable that I still don't know the pronunciation of this actor's name? Because... Ah, dan da da dan da dan da dan da You're not supposed not to know this. Even cu- what? It You've is worked his with him third time. Whoa! 
He was Dr. Manning in honor code and We're Mr. Shram in body count. We're not supposed to know this match you've been on the show before. But after a Super Bowl guest star, you've come charging back for more. So welcome back to the practice. We'll pretend that we don't recognize that you were here before in season four. And you massachute the scenery. First you were a judge who was a bit of a dick. Now you are a teacher who's a bit of a dick. In silence of the lens, you were a bit of a dick. In real life, I'm sure that you're a really nice guy. Welcome back to the Buddy, that's high. Woo! Things aren't looking good the in here. The news is good and bad. And bad. <laughs> the judge ruled that they can't force medicate you. What about my pills? When, when can I take my pills? That's the bad news. If you go back on the medication, yeah, pretty much never. They'll execute you. Well, I can't stay like this. It's too loud. Denise, I'd like to work on an appeal. It's too loud. You said that you would make it stop. I will. Eleanor, it needs to be now. I can't. No! No! Then let me die. I'm choosing to be executed. It's actually not your choice. You have no capacity. Yes, you said that you would make it stop. It's loud. We can at least get her to a hospital now, right? I mean, she's- Shut up! You shut up! You shut up! You bitches against me. Ooh, we got a side eye for the ages there, folks. Wow, what Mr. a performance. Mr. Berry, Bobby Donald, thanks for coming in. I'm not sure what the purpose is. Eugene tells me you want us to settle, but I've made our feelings quite clear. You're not going to get any money, Mr. Berry. Not by pursuing this. The alcohol industry can't afford to set a precedent of losing, yes. Eugene has already told me that. But as I told him, I don't care if I never see any money. Yes, but we do. I'm sorry? We took this case on a contingency, Mr. Barry. There's an implied contract of good faith. Good faith requires you to accept a reasonable settlement. Failure to do so may give us a cause of action against you. Bobby. 825,000 of 2.5 belongs to us, Mr. Barry. And I'm not going to let you give that away because you're too emotional. Bobby. Excuse me, Eugene. Lawsuits are about money. You hired us to get you money. We prosecuted this claim for free on a contingency. We took a chance on a back end, and now we want our payoff. What are you talking about? The choice to settle or not to settle legally belongs to you. But if you choose not to and you end up getting nothing, if we end up getting nothing, this firm will file a claim against you for $825,000. Jesus Christ, Bobby. And please keep in mind, Mr. Barry, when yeah, you're the defendant, hello. lawyers Jesus. won't represent you on a contingency. Turning this settlement down will cost you. You need to be aware of that. Bobby is an asshole. Thank you for your time.
Yeah, what the hell, Bobby? Jesus. You could lose your bar card over that one. I don't think so. Eugene, we need cash. Threatening a lawsuit against a client to get cash? The client needed a dose of reality. Well, why didn't you tell me or Jimmy that's what you were because planning? Because I was taking you off the hook. The fact that you didn't know what the meeting was about makes me the only bad guy. Well, your threat to sue is completely frivolous. I told the client as much, and he maintains his refusal to settle. We go in tomorrow on the defendant's motion to knock the verdict down. Bobby, you and I have been estranged lately. A lot of it's been over the Catholic Church. But at least we've managed to be honest with one another. So I'm going to be honest now. Thanks for the weird exposition dialogue. It wasn't in keeping with being an ethical person. It wasn't in keeping with being an honorable lawyer. And from what I know of your faith, it wasn't in keeping with being a good cat. This goes back to your point, though, Keith. I think you made a few weeks ago. Like, what is the burn rate at this firm? Because we've won a lot of cases. Shouldn't we have millions of dollars? You'd think. I mean, we're learning from this that the, uh, these, you know, these settlements that we win get kicked down pretty severely. Yeah. So, you know, maybe when we won a $40 million case, we weren't actually taking in $12 million out of that or whatever, but it is, it is interesting. I mean, I mean, yes, it's expensive, but like they're working constantly and they're yeah. charging, I'm sure a shit ton of money for what they're doing, even not on settlements, just on the murder cases. Yeah. And like, once again, like we should have been talking about how hard up we are for cash prior to this, like all of a sudden yes. we're going to strong arm the client. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. You humiliated this firm with that little performance. And more than that, you embarrassed yourself. Oh, man. Everything Eugene says is so great. Also, you're wearing too much lipstick, Bobby. Mm -hmm. She started banging her head against the bars and looked like she was trying to gouge her eyes. Is she sedated? <sighs> Not yet. She's in restraints. She wanted to talk to you first. Denise, I want the drugs. I can't live like this, Eleanor. Try to calm. Don't tell me that. I can't live like this. Denise, if you go back on the med. I know. I know. I need you to listen to me. If you go back on the drugs, they will put you to death. I can't live. It's too loud. I want the medicine. They said that it's your decision. Tell them to give it to me. I would be signing your death warrant. <laughs> what an awful position for Eleanor to be in right now. Give her the drugs. Eleanor, are you sure? Of course I'm not. Sure, give her the drugs. Keith, does the episode now. end with us at the execution? I'm not telling. Yeah. Great. Shit, that was fast. I well, just yeah, I know. I was thinking that too. I mean, that can't possibly be the antipsychotic. That had to be a, a sedative. Oh, that's right. Before they came in, they were like, she, she sedated. And they said, not yet, because she wants to talk to you. Right. Look at that snowy background they built. Mm. <laughs> hey. Hey. 
Great news from the hospital. Denise is feeling well enough to be executed. You come up with anything? Well, only thing left is to argue it's unconstitutional to kill her on Eighth Amendment grounds. That's sort of been tried, Jamie. Well, instead of arguing the death penalty is per se unconstitutional, you could argue it's cruel and unusual as applied to Denise Freeman. It's our only shot, Eleanor. Bobby's going through the book. Hey. Here comes the hey. full Michael Badaluko. The clients had a change of heart. They agreed to settle. We chipped the number up to 3.2. We're closed. Really? What changed their minds? I guess you did. Congratulations. Mm. It's a good settlement, Jimmy. For you, maybe. For the client. Well, that would be a lucky coincidence then, wouldn't it? Wow. You're really laying Don't on the anti-Bobby thing. the client's interest in mind, Bobby. Maybe I had yours. And Rebecca's. And Eleanor's. You think it's easy running this place, Jimmy? You like taking home a salary? You want to see the books? I don't doubt in your heart you were serving the firm. But I guess I just wish when serving us, you'd consider what at heart this firm is. This is all ironic considering anyway, the meta version of what's happening in the show right now. On the settlement. I'm sorry, you now want to challenge the constitutionality of the death penalty? As it applies to my client, yes. And the show goes on. I object to that. This is not a show. My client is scheduled to be injected with lethal poison the day after tomorrow. Your client murdered two young boys and has since been on a mission to manipulate the system. She is entitled to be heard, Mr. Family. Parker. All right. Ms. Frutt, I must admit, I share Mr. Parker's exasperation. Your Honor. You represent Denise Freeman's last chance at life. It is certainly within your discretion to let her die. But it would be an abuse <clears throat> of that discretion to do so without at least hearing from her attorney. I've done nothing but hear from you. Damn it! Say no if you want. But I would like to be heard however much it exasperates the court's patience. Speak to me like that again. You'll get a jail cell of your very own. Soggy fries. Soggy fries. All right. Let's go back in. I'll hear you. I need time to prepare. Nine o'clock tomorrow. Last call, counsel. Way to go, Jamie. Nice yeah. hail, Mary. I need you to pull up Furman. Check the concurring opinions. Catch was made on the one yard line, so they still got that. <laughs> then pull up Greg. Was one more play to run, Keith. Look for any dissenting opinions. The hardest Are yard. I'm fine. Kind of Kevin I'm gonna Dyson. go see Denise. You get the cases. I'll meet you back at the hotel. Okay. Another deep cut. They're using a completely the different set for the you? New Hampshire court. Well. No. So you're going to try to overturn the death penalty all by yourself? 
You could go back off the medication. Though, I'm not even sure. I won't do that again. I either live on the meds or I die. So, Eleanor, exactly how good are you? I'm not this good. Obviously, Denise, this is the ultimate Hail Mary. I will do my very best, but... It's not really a Hail Mary from the one-yard line. at the end. Yeah, she, she wasn't listening I'm to my analogy. So. No. I don't know how to begin thanking you for it. We don't have to get into that. What a take from Cameron right there. I've for you to be present in court. So, like, you could see how much being thanked pained her in that moment. Subtle, so subtle, but so good. Well, I should probably get to work on whatever it is I'm gonna say. God damn. They're so Same good. All right, let's play it. Let's play a game. It's yeah. harder to play because you know the ending. But mm -hmm. so we've done the work, right? The table is set. Uh, I think that thus far, the performances, as you've mentioned, have been stellar in this case over the two episodes. The question asked, stellar. The opposition, firm, but I think realistic. The judge and the and the uh, prosecutor. Mm -hmm. uh, have put up the appropriate barriers they've knocked down. So here we are. They've set up the stakes of how difficult this last uh, challenge will be. What is the most effective ending? Do we have them her uh, denied and she's put to death and, and chooses to be... Uh, From a storytelling perspective. Yes. First, yes. Well, yeah. not just a storytelling perspective, but also like, what do we think David E. Kelly's trying to say, Right. This is an opportunity, mm. and we know the last time we dealt with the, the death penalty, um, I think it was pretty clear he's he's anti-death penalty. Um, right. And viewed through the lens of Jimmy, who wasn't particularly sure about that. Here, right. you know, here it's a little more legalese, and also there's a little more friendship built in. Uh, as Eleanor is now, like, she's waited not just uh, theoretically with this woman's life, but literally. Uh, so I'm curious as to what... It's closing oh, for Christ's sake. I thought I fixed it. Damn it. Well, Sorry, I mean, you're I making think, a really good point. Go ahead. I think that, you know, I think that probably it, it's interesting. I think that probably the more realistic ending is she dies. I mean, you make the she made the choice. Eleanor has to live with those consequences, and that's I think it makes a point about being a defense attorney, being in this position. What is your, where is your ultimate, is the client's life your priority or is the client's decision and their quality of life? You know, like where does it start and where does it end? I think that, that answers, that puts us in an interesting place. However, I do like the opportunity for, especially since Jamie enumerated that we have a shot here. We're not like upending the the precedent of, of, the Eighth Amendment amendment here is it's just about her. I think that it would be an interesting uh, 
chance for us to show just how great Eleanor is and really flex her there. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't feel out of place for us to win here, though I think it's probably more emotionally effective if that's what we're going no, for to, to it, kill her. It, it, it depends on whether you think you've made your point, right? Like, because David E. Kelly's making a point about the perversity of the death penalty here. And do we need to reinforce it with a, with a tragic ending? Or do we feel like, yeah, we get it, so we can have a happier ending? Good question. All right. Well, I guess we'll Let's find, find out. out. The slowest fade to commercial I've ever seen. All rise. Well, that in the uh, four-minute recap, they're really trying to <laughs> stress the budget here. Be seated. Oh, they're the victims. Okay, Ms. Parents Frutt, there, it I'm listening. Whether one agrees or disagrees with the death penalty. One does. It is reserved as punishment for the worst of criminals, the most terrible. Denise Freeman doesn't fall into that category. Of course, her acts of murder were heinous against God and especially against two innocent young children. But Denise Freeman was mentally ill. Though judged legally sane by a jury, she clearly wasn't. She was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia shortly after the trial. Medication not only successfully treated this disease, but she developed into a role model offering such profound public service to others that Stephen Marshall, the warden at the Goffstown Correctional Facility, has petitioned you to save her life. Had Ms. Freeman received an adequate defense, she likely... Counsel, this is neither a retrial of the facts, nor your client's defense. I understand that, Your Honor. But you are permitted to consider that the finding of sanity was made by 12 laypeople, with almost no psychiatric testimony introduced on my client's behalf. You are allowed to consider that Denise Freeman was poor, that her murder trial lasted a total of three days, her defense taking up one day. You are allowed to consider that the overwhelming medical evidence found her to be insane. And as such, I would submit you are certainly allowed to conclude that Denise Freeman does not fall into the most terrible of criminals, the ones for which we reserve the penalty of death. And I would also remind the court that as horrible as these murders were, they did not involve rape or torture. There was no evidence of any physical suffering. The deaths were instantaneous. She did not act out of hatred or evil. If you are to execute a mentally ill person who kills painlessly, without judgment, without premeditation, 
then we are to say all murderers should be executed. And we don't say that, Your Honor. Instead, we reserve the penalty of death for the most evil, the most dastardly. Denise Dastard. Freeman simply does not fall into that category. And her punishment should accordingly be reduced to life imprisonment. Nice clothes. Yep. And it's interesting because she made it about Denise specifically, not mm -hmm. about the larger picture of the death penalty itself. We judge the criminal act, not the criminal actor. When a young child is murdered, that's the most terrible of crimes. When two are murdered, this murderer was judged sane, Your Honor. Miss Frutt knows this. She's here mostly because she's against the death penalty. Objection? I say this only to put her eloquent pleas in a proper context. The commitment that she feigns towards Denise Freeman's life is inextricably bound up with her opposition to the death penalty. Mr. Parker, I'll ask you to confine your remarks to this case only. All right, Your Honor. Smart, Jamie. Miss Frutt said, these crimes didn't involve much suffering. Here sit Arnold and Cindy Graham, the boy's parents. We're not giving them this a line was because at the park we that can't day. pay them. They're she experts. saw the heads of her only two children explode. They've had to go through trials and tribulations for eight long years, waiting for this day for closure, only to have to come to this room to listen to a defense attorney claim that the murders weren't terrible enough. Not enough suffering. No evil at work. They've had to witness a last-minute gross distortion of our legal system where the killer goes off medication for the purpose of becoming too insane to execute. I asked before, I'll ask you again. Where does it stop? When I grow up, I want to be vice president. Vice presidents Ooh. get to have girlfriends, and people don't make a big deal. You're going to have a girlfriend? Lots of them. I got that thing. Girls like it. What thing? That thing I got. Timothy Graham for VP. Candidate with thang. What a weird... Tim Graham won't get to run for vice president. In the last eight years, Denise Freeman got to laugh. Timothy and Ryan Graham didn't. Denise Freeman experienced joy on occasion. Timothy and Ryan didn't. Denise Freeman got to live. Timothy and Ryan didn't. Society can only express his feelings for crime by the punishment it meets out. To let her live now is to ignore and prolong the misery of these parents. And to say that the life of Denise Freeman matters more than those two innocent children. Oh, that's equivocating. Harry What's Lennox a does a great job, though. Yeah. Nice VCR, man. I'll give you the final word. I love that we get the back forth, back forth. This is great. Yeah. I have a two-year-old daughter. If somebody were to shoot her dead on a jungle gym, 
I would not only want that person killed, I would like the satisfaction of doing it myself. I would even want that killer to suffer. It's human nature. But it isn't right. One of the reasons I'm here today is because my daughter is still alive. And I worry about the world we pass on to her. I plan to teach my little girl that it is never okay to commit murder, though the state says otherwise. I plan to teach my daughter that we do not respond to violence with more violence or vengeance, though the state says otherwise. I plan to teach her that life, every life, is sacred, though the state says otherwise. In truth, the murder being advocated by the government today is far more premeditated than the ones committed by Denise Freeman. The murder being advocated by the government today is with clarity of mind, with reason, and with much more hatred in the heart than was true of Denise Freeman. The murder being advocated by the government today is one of ceremony. Killing Denise Freeman might bring closure for the victim's family. It will no doubt bring cheers from much of the community. But it isn't right. When I was a kid, I memorized Clarence Darrow's closing argument on Leopold and Loeb. We don't need the scoring. It's what made me want to become a right. lawyer. I often wondered if I'd ever have a case like that. But I do appreciate they waited Where until I would stand now. Before yeah. A judge yeah, yeah. And Season one, it would have been there the whole time. Human being's life. I can't improve on Clarence Darrow. So I will finish with what he said. I am pleading for the future. I am pleading for a time when hatred and cruelty will not control the hearts of men. When we can learn by reason and judgment and understanding and faith that all life is worth saving and that mercy is the highest attribute of man. And on her second close, she zoomed out to look at the big picture. Interesting. That was like a David E. Kelly. He might as well just been standing there himself. He got two. He, he got a twofer there. He wrote himself one. Smart. Eleanor. Honestly, if I killed your daughter. Do you think you could find it in your heart to argue for my life? Probably Absolutely he said not. No. <laughs> He's reverse Michael so Dukakising. All that talk about kindness overcoming cruelty? I believe in it. Totally. Doesn't mean I'm capable of it. Except if anyone harmed my daughter. This is fair. Fuck with my cat, I will destroy you. You didn't quote my favorite part. I'm sorry? Darrow's closing. He talked about how we used to hang and behead and torture and cut into pieces. 
all these inconceivable punishments. But then we began to evolve as a nation to a point where now we look back on those things with horror. He said the future was on his side because one day we too would look back at capital punishment with embarrassment and shame. The future is with me, he said. We need the future to be today. It's like their Emmy reel for both of them. Just, you know, copy-paste. You know, a trope we never talk about is how whenever we have one of those big kind of like uh, thematic discussions of the sort of thesis of the whole episode, the moment we get the the, the period on the sentence, the jury That's right. Yeah. Always. Well, it'd be weird if they're like, so, should we order lunch? <laughs> <laughs> you like California rolls or you want to go a little more? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Man, have I got to take a crap. Stand up, Ms. Freeman. Ms. Frutt, as much as you'd like me to overturn the death penalty, I'm not hey. going to do that. Anybody who murders two innocent children, I have a difficult time having that person's attorney preach to me on morality. Wow, that was fast. But I have to acknowledge the evidence is overwhelming. If not insane, Ms. Freeman was at least mentally infirm at the time she committed those heinous acts. I therefore find that the death penalty is not appropriate here. Wow. And the execution is hereby stayed. That's all. Wow. So he didn't overturn, so stayed for how long? Just. It's not a I think permanently stayed okay. is the implication here. Wow, Eleanor. M wow. At least the oopsies will be fast this week, Keith. That's true. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. That is a totally earned ending though, I have to say. You know, yeah. I think it was a, we'll talk about it later, because I want to let the episode play out, but I'm gonna talk here because I've started. Um I can't remember which episode it was off the top of my head, but remember there was an episode where we were really pissed off or at least disappointed because or I was. We had differing opinions. I think it was Eleanor's clothes, too. I can't remember who did the clothes, but it just felt like the clothes was not equal to the... The result? Ed, the result. This, uh, like it was half-assed. This this was awesome. Yeah. Well, well said, Mike. <laughs> they did good for good. They were good at TV. You know what? I'm going back a couple <laughs> seconds. Because this is excellent. We can't... Mount Rushmore of guest spots, Keith. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. She's so good. She was able to time her tear to her move. 
grieving parents grieving. Okay, kids, we have gotten through the practice season seven, episode 12, final judgment. It is now time for us to give our final judgments, at least on this episode, back on the YouTubes that nobody watches in our after show show. And we are bubble back, baby. Yes, we are. So that was, uh, that was quite the episode. And now it is time to, uh, have quite the recap here on a little segment that we call Mm, two, three, four, Mike has 30 seconds to remember what just happened on the show. Segment. Segment. So guys, we're back, baby. Uh, they Bobby is hard up for cash, so he convinces that $120 million winner to just take three and give half of it to them and be cool with it. On the other hand, Eleanor saves a life by torturing a woman briefly, but then arguing the Eighth Amendment to over to stay in execution. Yes, indeed. Uh, do it again. But, you know, fewer syllables. Okay. Uh, how about we, I do that? Oh, I can't undo it. How about I do that in a segment we call... <laughs> a life... What does that say? Oh, a life and death fight. Bobby's threat to sue is fucked. Plead for the future. Yes, a life, what's that say? It also works. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, it also works. <laughs> yes, so uh, there it is, folks. A life, what's that say? Oh, that's funny. Bobby's threat was fucked. All right, let us know. Uh, let's hand out some awards in a segment. Ladies and we gentlemen, call. the Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention... This is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. What the hell are the oopsies? Well, Jackie, they're a very prestigious award that begins mm-hmm. every week with... This might be a little anticlimactic. Let's jump to it. I think Mount Rushmore of closes for the episode for the for this series. I think I'd have to really go in and like remember all of them, but this is definitely atop the list in the top five. I would say Uh, I happen to agree with the outcome, but even if I didn't, even if I was opposed to it, I'd have to at least tip my cap to some of the points made. So uh, MBL is Eleanor. Eleanor Frutt. 
Yeah. With with yeah. an assist from Jamie Stringer. I feel like she needs the the assist because she, she did not let her throw in the towel. No, and her she came in came in with the strategy that helped. Now, was it necessarily necessary to give Eleanor that strategy because she would have known it as opposed to like to the audience? Uh yeah, but nonetheless. Yeah, no, Eleanor, of course, it's a huge it's a huge case for Eleanor. Uh, and it's a it's a huge win on a couple of different levels. So uh, let us just continue forward, everybody. Stretch. It's time for already famous because you've been on TV. Getting a paycheck. Watch first entry on your IMDb. Way to go! But you're the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor on the episode. You know, Keith, uh, this Saturday, we, for like a joint birthday party, my friend and I, uh, his wife, hired an outside company to come in and like run a laser tag game in his yard, set up all these barriers, had these like real life-size like rifles, no like paintball kidding. rifles. Like, it was awesome. I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But um, just like, I and I was just playing sniper, so I climbed up in the swing set and was just like sniping people, but uh, still sore. And I have to tell you, doing the fast dance uh, nearly yeah. wrecked me. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, here you go. Best guest actor. Uh, I'm going to let you expound. I always get to go first. I think we know who it is. But uh, tell me of the greatness. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, first off, want to just throw out a shout out to Harry Lennox, mm-hmm. who uh, it's very clear he was going to go on to bigger and better things from this performance. He did a great job. Uh, but yeah, obviously, um, there's a reason that Alfre Woodard has like 18 some odd Emmy nominations and an Oscar nomination. And, uh, you know, she's one of those actors that you just hand the really difficult part to, because it's, you know, there are actors you can give the showy part to, Mm -hmm. and you know, they can land the big moment and whatever. And that's great. But what she had to do here was more difficult than having a breakdown, more difficult than a big moment. She had to layer a performance at like 16 different levels of illness mm-hmm. and that she had to calibrate from scene to scene. And and we forget, these aren't necessarily shot in sequence. These aren't shot, you know, uh, piece by piece, like, all right, so now we're at a three, now we're at a five. She had to do all of this probably in in little pieces all over the place, uh, many times getting other people's coverage. And so you have to find an, an actor capable of that from a technical standpoint as well as an emotional standpoint to do a story like this because this could be very bad if handed to an, an, you know, an actor not of the caliber of Alfre Woodard. And I think that is... Uh, it's what we see on screen is extraordinary and impressive, but also what we don't see the, the traps that she avoided the mines that she could have stepped on in this performance that she didn't, the taste level that she demonstrated here um, is just, it's extraordinary work. I mean, that's that there's only, there's not a lot of people on the world who can do that. And uh, it was a pleasure to watch that. I'll add two points. One, uh, and the credit goes to the writing as well, obviously, but 
like you like he, like Keith mentioned, it is you stand on the precipice with an episode episode like this that it comes across preachy, that it comes across heavy handed, or too one sided, and yes, the writing fights against that. But a performance like this is nuanced that it, it is so fully realized and three dimensional that you. This is a living, breathing person. It's about her, her case, and it, and it, and it takes the edge off that, that preachiness, and, and, and in this case, obliterates it into just like a really, almost a, a really near perfect episode. A second, it's not just the technical aspect here. I, this, my guess is, even at this point in her career, she was offer only. I'm not sure there was much of an audition oh, process goodness, that yes. took place here. <laughs> However, my guess would be, if you were to be able to dig up an audition tape. Uh, the performance would be almost this fully realized. This is somebody who comes into this taping with a fully researched and realized character. Like there wasn't a ton of direction here. This is a, an actress who just brings it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this get was out a, of this her was, way. What yeah, a somebody like that comes in, and uh, yeah, I mean, you you talk about the tightrope of the preachiness, but the tightrope of playing mental illness. God, yeah. I mean, like it takes wow. a confidence a confidence here that she really demonstrates. That could be real bad. Real bad. A good actor can give a really bad, embarrassing performance doing well, that. Yeah. Yes. Well, and 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 a lesser actor who's not bad. The other, I don't even call it a trap. The the more sort of expected result is someone who is uh, suffering or in the throngs of mental illness, where the character that is portrayed here is someone who is a victim of mental illness. Yeah. And that's a um, a very subtle distinction, but you can see it here. What and, in the hands of a good actress? Actor. And, and I think both from the, and we talk about this in the oopsies, but from the from the direction and from the writing and the performance, the the layer here that you don't usually see is how painful it is to suffer from that type of mental illness. She's genuinely suffering, and and we forget that, and you know, and not to just go down too grim a road. But uh, living in New York City for 20 years, you see it. You see mm-hmm. it on the street, you know, and, and you see people suffering from this. And, and it's, it's the most heartbreaking, helpless feeling to see somebody in the midst of this. And there's not much you can do. And it felt, you know, at least from my meager experiences from the outside witnessing it, that she had done the research because physically, emotionally, it it matched whatever sadness that I've seen in my own personal experience. So, uh, anyway, that was grim. Let's talk about something more, uh, exciting and another phenomenal actress in the segment. You killed your podiatrist or blew the case, but you let a single tear run down your face. You're the best actor on the show. Uh, these are points we've made before. I'll make them real quick. You know, we've sung Cameron's praises up, down, left, and right. Uh, but you're, you really see her expertise in craft when placed opposite of a goddamn legend. Because there is every flaw, every every choice you make is amplified by the sounding board it's bouncing off of and and yeah. you know and forget the actual end result the intimidation factor of stepping onto set with someone that talented 
can can could affect your performance. But you don't see that here. You see Cameron at the top of her game. I would I would highly suspect that uh, she even looks back at this particular episode or this series of episodes with a lot of pride because this is an actress, an actor uh, at the top of their game, delivering with such a confidence. And I think it's a credit also to David E. Kelly and the director who gave her the space to work. Uh, she delivered those closing monologues. Uh, they did not come across as monologues whatsoever. They seemed uh, prepared, like prepared legal remarks delivered with passion. And, you know, we point out a lot of the tropes and a lot of the flaws, but it is so wonderful when I get swept up in these episodes, even though we're recording and, and it's part of our job to talk as much as possible and be funny, but I just get swept up in the work and uh, it's what a pleasure to just to just see this performance. I mean, Cameron, uh, easily uh, one of her best episodes. Oh yeah, no, and and I think at at this point they were both legends. They were both titans. They you know were both or Emmy Emmy winners at this point. Uh, I mean, Alfred had had a longer career at this point, but but yeah, I mean this this is just you know. It's a like you said. It's a pleasure to watch. It's a pleasure to witness. It had to have been a pleasure to to film and and be a part of. And yeah, I mean, look, we are a hundred. This is our hundred and forty fifth episode. I don't think I have anything. I, I do not have the vocabulary to continue saying how awesome Cameron is. We all know it. You know it. We know it. Eh, yeah, she's Cameron. She's got it. That's her. And uh, you know who else has got it? Has uh, got a loss coming up tonight. No, he doesn't. No, but I, in my heart, he does. Uh, playing my New York football incompetent Giants. Ah, uh, this guy. The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Keith, we'll see how delicately you want to handle this one. But Tom Brady, the winner this week is, give me my medicine, Tom Brady. Give me my medicine, Tom Brady. Yes, indeed. Let's uh let us hope the Giants, the New York Football Giants, give him some medicine uh this evening in Tampa. I'm gonna look back at this and know, like, oh man, we lost 49 to 2. How'd we get a safety? Uh, I've been some upsets lately, so who knows? And it could yeah. happen. Well, look, I'm I am tied for first in my picks leagues this week, and I might pick the Giants just because like I don't want to tie. I want to win. So, or lose. Well, or lose. No, exactly. I mean, but that's my only way to outright win is to pick the Giants. Okay. Which I, I did before and I won the previous week. All right. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And more importantly, let's let's throw some tires out the window. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. We talk about tropes, and an episode like this actually reminds me of how lazy the show is sometimes. Because <laughs> when they really put the fine tooth comb over it and really give it the old college try, they can bring the heat. I'll uh, bring you one example. So many times we've joked about little uh, details put into an episode that are never that are just left as dangling threads and never really make any sense. And then there are episodes where they put them in to add. Uh, emotional context you know we talked about her playing the true sort of terror and and pain of of the mental illness and I, that episode where she they bring up the coughing and then they have that 
that manifest with Jamie in the holding cell. And then, you know, whereas lesser episodes, when the when the show's not feeling confident, we would turn that into a whole thing where she would attack Jamie and then it would be this thing about using that as showing that she's insane and not blah, blah, blah. I saw it going down that path. My brain started playing out a narrative where that becomes a huge thread. But here it's not that. It's much more subtle. It's just showing the paranoia and the fact that she recognizes the paranoia and Eleanor sees it and she's seeing that she's suffering and she's that plays into her making the decision that she wants to be back on the medicine even if it makes her die. All of these things flesh out the character. That's great from the writing standpoint, great directorially. The actresses pulled it off wonderfully. It all works. The show can often get very preachy, but they were able to balance it. Uh, they were able to get a, a strong point across whilst, but whilst not letting her off the hook, whilst not forgetting the pain of the victims and their family, whilst still pointing out and highlighting that in this very sp particular case, and I'm not, not not even passing adjudication on the death penalty, though Eleanor does highlight some of the ridiculousness of or the hypocrisy of it. But it's simply saying in this case, a system that is set up with checks and balances to help here, right, failed her. And we and you judge have an opportunity to fix that. And actually, really, Keith, is one of those times where this week specifically, this this hit home for me because mm. Not to get on my uh, soapbox, uh, but in a, in a in a case with uh, the the Kyle Rittenhouse case that, that was had had its verdict. The this verdict week, was this week, yeah. Um, you see how much power a judge actually mm. holds. We are we live in this sort of uh, fantasy that a jury of your peers makes a decision, but in the truth, eh, that jury is. Speci is very careful, carefully curated in what they can and can't do. And even mm -hmm. after all that, the judge can throw it away. And then in appeals, we didn't even worry about the jury. Now we're just going straight to the judge who can undo everything that was done. So yeah, a politically uh, appointed judge, mind you. Correct. So you know, I think this week even more the hypocrisy of like the fact that this system and and everyone is so righteous about it. Um, when in turn you're 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 condemning this woman for murder by by murdering her in much more, I thought it was just the point, once again, whether you agree with it or not, when stated so eloquently, I thought uh, is powerful. And then when paired with such an emotional performance by the two leads of the episode, it's just out of the park. I I, I think because I'm so moved by it, and this is funny that, it, that I felt this way about the other, about, about Jimmy's um, death penalty case as well. David E. Kelly really, can put a fine point on this on this subject matter. Yeah, um, it it ranks up there. I, I I can't find many nits to pick, though. I'm sure maybe you'll have given a little more thought to that. But I am giving this a solid nine point two five spare tires. Wow. Yeah. No, I I actually don't have a lot of nits to pick. Um, I think it's everything that you said, and and I I don't want to necessarily keep repeating the same things over and over again, but um. You know, this is a this is a confident episode about adults for adults with some adult thinking and questioning and um you know, they it, it they didn't go the cheap route with any of it. You know, they they earned everything they did. Um 
so yeah, so obviously, and you know, personally, I'm, I am also moved and agree with the points that we're making there. So I'm, I'm a mark for it, obviously. Um, you know, the, I guess everything I need to say about that's been said, I will say this about the other storyline, um, about Bobby's behavior under pressure financially with these settlements. I thought that that was. I thought that was very interesting and filled in some uh, information we didn't know yet about how do these settlements work after the big verdict, uh, what happens next. And I'm glad to have gotten that little window into that. Now, does the way Bobby is the way that Bobby is handling the financial stress that he's under um, particularly helpful to the likability of Bobby's character? Yeah, no. Uh, but clearly at this point in the show, they, they are putting a lot of eggs in the, he's very attractive basket in terms mm -hmm. of us liking the character, which, but that's fine. I don't mind having a, you know, a, a lead character with questionable likability. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. I get it. How do I, you know, this is a, and, 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 you know, obviously we talked about last week, I wish that has, this had been set up a little bit better, but I can't fault this episode for the setup previous to it. Mm -hmm. um, I would have liked that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really have any complaints with this episode. It feels like it paid off what we set up well. Um, so, yeah. I think... Uh, I think I'm going to give it a 9.13. Okay. I thought it was I thought it was uh excellent. I mean, I think by far the best of the season so far. Well, and it sets and, a bar for them that hopefully they can uh they're going to be adjudicated against. The other thing I wanted to point out, Keith that you were saying um with Bobby, uh yeah, the likability factor, but the color that it adds to the kind of overall tapestry that I enjoy is that I like that we're at a place now where we are comfortable in the office now, not just holding grudges, but calling each other on our shit. The fact that yep. both Eugene and Jimmy had the freedom to go up to Bobby and basically be like, that was, you embarrassed yourself. I thought was, he Bobby needs that. And I thought, yeah. I, I I feel like it needed to be said. So I'm I'm fulfilled from that. And I hope that uh, that carries over. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, wow. Okay, folks. That was a good episode. Uh, he, would you say that Bobby was acting like a boss baby? I, I think maybe I was. Maybe he was being a big old boss baby mm -hmm. right there in the uh, in our Easter egg. Well played, sir. All right, folks. We did it. We are another episode in. You have watched The Practice Season 7, Episode 12. If you would like to talk to us and tell us your thoughts and feelings about this episode, you can email us at outofpracticepodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on the Facebook at Out of Practice Podcast and on the Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast. Would you believe it? While you're at it, hop onto the Apple Podcasting service and leave us a rating and a review. Join the jury. We're going to read it. We're going to be so excited. We're going to play a bumper. Uh, it helps anyone listen to us. We really appreciate it. Speaking of people we really appreciate, we'd like to thank our founding sponsors who give us money. Wow. Uh, including Jorge Navoa, Cloud Lover 69, Leanne Wrights, Jennifer Masanova, and Kari Kuhn. 
Pay attention to Jorge and Phoenix. If you give us money, or Jorge, I should say, if you give us money, we'll like do segments that you request and That's even true. segments that you write for us. We work for uh, you now. You can do so by giving us a one-time donation or a monthly contribution. You can find those links in our show notes. Guys, is your medicine having searing hot light photons shot into your eyeballs? Because if it's so, give me some of my medicine and shoot off those laser sounds. Laser sounds. Nailed it? Nailed it.